Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of 023 Radio. This is Jordan Todd, and I'm joined as always by 023 founder and CEO Brian Costello. Brian, good to see you as always, my man. Yo, I'm here. What's up? Ready to go? Here we are. Let's get rolling. So, with that, let's get into it. So, today we're actually starting a new format of the podcast in which we'll be doing a QA based on questions that we've received over the last little while or any general hot topics within the health and fitness and, and coaching space that we think would either be valuable at the very least entertaining to talk about. And so we wanted this to be an opportunity for you guys to hear an 023 take on a lot of the common things that are going on in the world of health and fitness today and really uh, given our thoughts in general and bringing some light to the way uh, different scenarios and different coaching tips on how we would handle certain situations. So uh, with that, Brian, you ready to jump into first question? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So again, these are just uh, all questions that we've either been asked directly um, on coaching calls or, or through Instagram, social media, or ones that we came up with that we just thought would be interesting to uh, answer and explore live on the podcast. So with that, if you have any particular questions that you'd like to answer or you'd like us to answer, we're going to be doing a lot more of these. So please send us a DM on, on Instagram and I'll add it to the list and uh, we'll get to it in a future episode. So with that, let's jump into the first question we got here. So uh, first question here, Brian, we talk lots about the foundational four. So I want to start with, firstly, what are the foundational four? And then how did you come to those things being the foundational fa uh, factors that you focus on? Okay, cool. Good place to start. Yeah, so the foundational four are... Um, Nutrition, sleep, movement, and mindset. We usually just say food, sleep, movement, and mindset. And uh, yeah, I get this question quite often because it's like, well, what, there's all these other things that could be in there too that are also important. Yes, of course. Um, but really, so when I first started developing the O2-3 systems, even before I was using that name, um, I was presented with the challenge that a lot of coaches, I think, still feel in this idea that like, well, once you go outside the doors of the gym, I mean, it's like endless, right? It's like, it could be everything, it's life. And that's that's true. And, uh, you know, we're not trying to be like life coaches as we know, but it's like, all right, well, how do we start to put some, some order to this and some systems? Um, and then one of the other things that I was finding myself working on with clients quite a bit was I was continuing to put all of my focus on things they were already doing. And because in this day and age, Everybody feels like they don't have time. Everybody feels like they can't really take on more. And most of the fitness industry is their solutions are more and extra and, and adding things to people's plates. So I found myself continually focusing on things that people were already doing. And what I began to, you know, formulate in my mind and realize is that, well, everybody already eats, they already sleep, they already move and they already think, right? They already have these four practices. Uh, food, sleep, movement, mindset. They've done those every day since the day they were born and they'll do them every day until the day they die. And the idea is that we don't need to um, necessarily add too much to these things. It's just focusing on taking the things that we're already doing and um, just continuing to, to practice because they're lifestyle practice, practice every day, getting a little bit better and better and better. And then obviously it's, there's systems to how we approach the practice and how we refine it and how we reflect and how we learn and how we improve and all those things. But um, yeah, if you go, you know, it's every day, whether you're 
training, whether you're on vacation, whether you're super busy or whatever, you're still going to do all of those things every single day. And the idea is to be able to develop practices that doesn't matter if you're traveling or if you're sick or if you're, you know, in peak condition or whatever it may be, that you're able to um, optimize those practices to, within the best of your abilities every day. Yeah. And with all of these things, they're all stuff that affect each other. Mm-hmm. And they're all things that you know, like you said, there's a million things that go on outside of the gym through the t- test of time. Everything can fall into one of those categories mm-hmm. when you start to break it down. And so in terms of the four buckets, the foundational four, that's why these are the things that we, we focus on. Yeah. And, and every, everybody, essentially the, the decisions you make throughout the day that either move you forward or hold you back, all of those decisions, those um, that move the needle one way or the other can basically, like you said, be put into one of these um, four buckets. So they also, I should mention quick that they are expansive. They're not, those words sound limiting, but so like sleep, for example, isn't just eight, you know, the the eight or so hours at night with your eyes closed in bed. It's we're looking at our entire sleep, wake cycles, our energy levels throughout the day, um, falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up in the morning, just like basically energy in general. So um, the words might sound limiting, but within those words, it's very expansive, obviously, uh, obviously like mindset too, you know, so, um, that's good clarification also. Mm-hmm. And each of these, we're going to do a future episode dedicated to each one of these individually, mm-hmm. because there is, you know, so much to unpack and go into, and they all are a well with no bottom. You can keep going mm-hmm. forever in each of these mm-hmm. things for the duration of your life. So awesome. Moving on to next question here on the, uh, this one's in the nutrition category, talking mm-hmm. food. Brian, what is one smaller, actionable nutrition tip that you'd love to give everyone? Okay, that one's actually pretty easy. I usually start with the same general tip for everybody, and that is to eat at least one plant with every meal. And plant meaning like from the produce section, like not in a package, came out of the ground, still alive, hasn't been processed or shipped or, well, I mean, I guess in some cases it's shipped, but it hasn't been processed and put in some sort of, uh, you know, extended shelf life type packaging and stuff like that. Um, it's alive, there's water and, and seeds and, and all that kind of stuff in it. And that I think is a really good way for people to start to redirect their mind a little bit. Um, for mo- you know, the majority of people just don't get enough plant life and we tend to always be looking for the protein source, right? And the meat source and whatever it may be. And a lot of times, because we're so adamant about getting that in, it'll, we'll end up eating some not so great meal as a whole, because we had to find something that had chicken in it, or we had to have something that had meat in it. But when you're looking at, I have to find a good um, plant source with every meal, it'll just kind of take you in a different direction, prioritize things differently. And that's that, like, we talk about eating to win, right? It's like, we're not just trying to get through meal time with the, the worst, you know, doing um, damage control and doing a little, little amount of damage as possible. We want to approach meal time like, all right, what's around me that I can bring into my body right now to really nourish me, really give me good, clean energy and just have me you know, moving forward in the right direction. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an easy one for me. Yeah. Yeah. I love when you always say, it's like, oh, it's not that bad. It's like, oh, well, it's also not that good if that's how you're describing it. And, uh, and keeping this in mind where if you have a good plant source with every meal, likely you're going to be on track. So, uh, with this one, I actually went like a completely different direction with where I was going with it or not completely different, I guess, but 
the one nutrition tip I would give would be to learn to be good at and enjoy the process of cooking. Hmm. I think that's like one of the most underrated things that, uh, that has impacted my nutrition and for everybody I see, I love to cook. Hmm. I consider myself a pretty good cook. And, you know, with that, I always have food that I enjoy eating that is nutritious for me, that, that fuels me and fills me up in a way that makes me feel good. You know, I know so many people who they eat out all the time or they, the, the stuff they cook they're you know, they're making craft dinner and they're making whatever the, the eat, like that's their definition of cooking. And so I would say like, in terms of return on investment, just spend a little bit of time. Like you don't need to become like a five-star world-class culinary expert, but learn how to cook a couple good meals and enjoy the process yes. of cooking good meals for yourself. Um, something that yeah. definitely ch- changed for changed my life for me. Yeah, I like that. That's a really good one. And that's like the how you eat approach, right? Mm-hmm. So all these other things besides before you even get to the, the food itself conversations, how you eat and how you prepare your food and the process of it. Like you said, like getting to fall in love with that process and enjoy that process um, just brings us more connected to ourselves and the food and everything as well. So just grabbing stuff on the go and eating it on the road or whatever. We're slowing down. We're investing some time. We're investing some energy and some, some love into the food. And then when we enjoy it, we're receiving it from, you know, receiving it fully and wholly. Um, that's a good one. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to the next one here. So taking a little bit of a coaching lens with this. So let's say as a coach, you're coaching a gym. If someone comes to you wanting to work on their health outside of the gym, where do you start in that process? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, this was another part of the cha- you know, the early days challenges because again, you walk out those doors, there's a lot of things and people will generally um, want to change a lot of things, right? Like I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to lose weight, I want to gain energy. So it's like, well, what do we dress for us? How do we do it? Um, so for me, and, and obviously, you know, you know, we teach this is that um, the first thing is really getting clarity and finding out what it is that that person actually wants and why and not just a quick five minute conversation about their outcome goals but all the things along the way that they um, envision themselves being the best possible version of themselves that they can be in as much like I said as much detail as possible um, you know what it looks like what it feels like what the day their everyday life looks like throughout the day who is affected when they're at their best, who's not, you know, getting this very, very clear image. And that way we can both sides of the conversation, the client and the coach can feel completely clear that that's the target we're going for. And now we can start to build everyday practices, the foundational floor specifically, that know that we're moving us closer to that person every single day, you know, 10, 12, whatever mini little decisions a day that are going to bring us closer and closer and closer to that goal. So we before clarity, can't really do anything. And, and uh, so just, I'll add that when, uh, when we talk to clients in the, in the fitness space a lot, I'm sure coaches can re- um, re- relate to this. A lot of times there's just complete vagueness on, you know, this clarity process of what they really want. It's not usually like they have no idea what they want, but when you start asking them like, you know, where they want to go, what's holding them back, uh, where they even are now in the process. There's a lot of like, oh, I, you know, I mean, I just, I just want to lose some weight. You know, I don't know. I just, 
I don't know. I just want to gain a little energy. Like, there's a lot of, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, they sort of can see it in their mind, but it's, um, it's very vague and unclear and we can't start towards that target if, if it's so vague. So uh, we want to really um, dial that in super specific because if you can, it's easier to, um, it's easier done than said, right? If you can say it clearly, doing it becomes a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know I was guilty of this. Like mm-hmm. everyone in this uh, space is, is guilty of it to some extent. When someone comes to you, you want to jump right down to like the micro detail, nitty gritty and start there. And, you know, that can work for like the objective physical things, but that just doesn't get you very far in the long term mm-hmm. when you don't know exactly where you're going. So that's where this like zooming out, where do you actually want to be is ultimately the place to start when it comes to, to all of this stuff. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, like you made a perfect point. It's very common to want to jump right into the micro, the micro details and say, here, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that without being fully clear with where we're even headed and why. Um, so yeah, that's, that's uh, what I believe is very important. Yeah. Cool. Moving on to the next one here. So Brian, what is something that improved your quality of life so much that you do today that you wished you started doing it sooner? So I, I've told this story quite a bit in, you know, throughout the different courses and whatnot. Um, it's not really one thing, but essentially becoming a morning person from the, from basically whatever the a polar opposite of morning person would be was where, how I lived for the first 30 years of my life. And when I say I wasn't a morning person, it wasn't like I just, um, you know, needed a cup of coffee to get me started. It was a absolute battle every morning snooze in a double digits amount of times I'd hit the snooze normally. Most times I wouldn't even know how many times I hit it until I woke up and did the math and realized, oh my God, I hit the snooze like 11 times I don't even remember. Um, but more importantly, it was my mood, right? I was like, I wasn't sleepy. I was just like angry and frustrated. It's just like miserable that I had to be awake right now and all this type of stuff. It's no way to start your life every day for, for 30 years um, till about 11, 12 o'clock it was before I got going. So um, about five or six years ago, I, uh, well, I had done a long fast, which I talk about in other places and whatnot. And during that time, I had also started to fall into rhythm and and recreate my circadian rhythms. Um, And and I started, so first of all, I guess really the one thing was I started seeing sunrise almost every single day. And, And before that, I'd probably seen the sunrise like two or three times in my life in the morning most of the times i start sunrises when i was just out too late yeah, a little different uh, side of it so then i started getting up and doing like almost quite literally every single day now with kids and stuff it's a little bit different i'll get it a handful a month usually um but that was like the one habit that really started to help me fall into into sync um just start the day on the right note just feel alive and rejuvenated and feel like i actually had time and all these things and it just there was no going back after changing so I would say that that's the, like an actionable step, but I guess really though, the biggest thing was to realize that I was, I could, I could change that. I, I just thought I'm not a morning person, never have been, never will be. That's just how I am and who I am. And to challenge, like really the biggest thing was challenging that and deciding like, no, I'm not, I'm done living like this. I'm going to make some changes like that. And then, uh, you know, starting that process, like I, I would say that that was the biggest one for me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so funny. Um, for those of you guys listening, Brian and I 
don't talk about these answers beforehand. But my answer is almost is very much along the same lines. I had you know, kind of two things I was going to say. One was taking ownership for everything in my life. And two was going outside more. Yes. <laughs> and so you're talking about sunrise and taking ownership. Um, so yeah, the taking ownership side of it was just, I lived a long portion of my life as a victim, thinking that things were happening to me. And it wasn't um, catastrophic on the surface. It wasn't like I was running around whining and complaining, but like the internal dialogue was like, oh, I'm not where I want to be because of X, Y, Z. Mm. And um, eventually I had someone give me a book. It was called Extreme Ownership, actually, by Jocko Willink. And um, that's kind of what started this process. Uh, but yeah, just taking ownership for the things that are going on, for the successes, for the, the quote unquote failures, and really le- like leaning into that for the sake of growth. So taking ownership for it, and then the second one being just like going outside more. I used to really go outside as like a means to an end. It's like, oh, I go outside to get in my car to go somewhere. And it's like, I wasn't intentionally spending time out. It was, I was spending as little as possible or as little as necessary compared to as much as possible. And in the last, this has only been probably two-ish years, two or three years. Like I can't get enough. Like going outside is one of the greatest um, parts of any day the connection you feel to the world around you, the natural rhythms that you see and the, just the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual effects that you have from this, like connecting to the earth that you're on is just so incredible. And, uh, and using the fitness that we develop in a gym setting to go use it outside in this, you know, life setting. And uh, I've been very fortunate to live in some pretty incredible places where I get to take advantage of that. But it's, uh, yeah, going outside, you, like um, using the fitness that you develop and, and actually enjoying it in a, uh, you know, we call it functional for a reason, like using yeah. it functionally out in the world. So yeah. those, are the, those would be the two I had of it. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, and like, you know, like we talk about in the course, like that's like a default setting, right? Like you were able to change your default settings from I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm an indoor person, essentially, like I go outside if there's something specifically going on that requires me or, you know, is in, in inviting enough that I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll go do that. But now the default settings, get up, get outside, and then, you know, figure out what to do from there or, or whatever it may be. Um, and that's, that's a huge, that's what transformation looks like, right? When we start to, those default settings start to change into an active person, an outdoor person a morning person, whatever it may be. Um, so cool. Good yeah. And now, now I'm just trying to, uh, anytime anyone tells me like, Oh, I'm not an outdoor person. I'm like, Oh, just, you wait, yeah. Like, yeah, just, just give, just give it some time. Like, <laughs> you'll see. I could become a morning person from the position I was in. Anybody could become, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually, can... so I was going to add before you start that actually though, when I did prove that to myself, then I was like, well, I can change anything. About yep. You know what I mean? So, and I think that's one of the standouts of actually both of those processes is the malleability of humans that we can be like, you didn't say, Oh, I found out I was a morning person. No, I became one. I uncovered the fact that I could be. And like you say, if you could get there from the place you started in, you know, I think anybody can do just about anything. Yes. Yeah. So cool. All right. So moving on to the, moving on to the next one. So this was a question that came to me from a, a coach that I spoke with recently, and it's about imposter syndrome. And so I know this is something that's fairly relevant, you'd call it rampant in the coaching industry. And so this was the question they posed. So um, they said, I'm a coach who struggles a lot with imposter syndrome. I've taken plenty of courses and I know that I can provide value for people, but I always find myself feeling tons of doubt and freezing and end up not taking any action. 
Uh, it limits my career, my clients, and it just leaves me feeling a bit empty and scared. So do you have any tips on moving through imposter syndrome? Yeah, this is tricky. And we, it's, it's incredibly common, which is, I think, maybe the first place to start is that everybody has, you know, some degree of this, right? Anybody who's walking around saying, I know everything about everything and have every answer to every problem in the world. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how to say it, but like that's, nobody's really saying, you know, claiming it, which means there's some degree of like, I don't have everything all figured out all the time. That includes um, every level of coaching, including the people that you know and see on Instagram and have hundreds of thousands of followers. So like even them to some extent deal with this imposter syndrome. Um, and one of the things I was just thinking about this the other day is we, it's, we live in a pretty challenging space because um, there's like all this, like, well, what's right and what's wrong all the time. And God forbid you're wrong. You could lose all of your credibility or, you know, people like you, you're teaching people one thing and someone else is coming online and stop doing this. This is wrong. This is, bad. you know, and it's just kind of vicious in general. Right. So it, it puts anyone who doesn't like really have a subject matter expertise. Yeah. They start to be like, well, I know a lot of the stuff, but I don't feel quite comfortable enough to, to say without the possibility that I could be wrong about certain things. Um, so that being said, I would keep it, you know, I think for most coaches, it's good to keep in mind that it's unlikely that your goal is to be like the world's leading expert in one specific topic, right? Really the goals that you probably have are to be able to help your clients get from where they are to where they want to be, or at least much closer to where they want to be. And to, to, to do that, you don't need to be the world's leading expert in everything, anything. You don't need to have every single answer to every single problem that they have. You just need to be confident in, you know, clear on what they want, clear on what you can deliver and confident in your system, confident enough in your systems to know where to start and how to take it, you know, sequentially step-by-step. Step. Um, so that doesn't, knowing that and doing that, knowing that I'm, you know, I'm not going to have every answer for them along the way where I'm going to help, you know, guide them. Um, on their own journey and, and basing it mostly on my own practices. So if you're going out there and you're practicing and you're constantly aware of what you're doing and what's working and what's not and adapting and learning, that's where you're going to, to lead from. Um, I have some other thoughts on it, but I would say, did you want to ch chime in on any of that? First? Yeah. Yeah. Just well, even on the last point you're saying there, where I think in the early stages of most coaches career, we get this idea that we need to show how much we know. And it's like, we're trying to, you know, all these facts and these cool things and whatever it is. But when you just share from your experiences, that can never be wrong because it was your experience. And, and, and from there, it's, it's something that the language of it, I think is important also because imposter syndrome isn't really something that you get over because like, it's there to some extent for, for life. Like this is a, there's always going to be a piece of it that comes into play. I always find it more valuable that it's something that we move through. It's something that we're working with because it's, it's going to come up. You know, these, these doubts are, are part of the human experience that we're going to have. You know, we level up to another level. Well, there's someone else above us. There's someone else who's more there. And when you talk about it, it's not about being the, the expert in the world. It's about what can you do for people? And the thing I really like to highlight, because something I struggled with with uh, this idea was in the comparison to the, the experts that we see, 
the question is like, oh, well, why would anyone want to work with me when they could work with that person? You know, that person is so much higher up, whatever the, 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 the language is around it. And the first point on that is the people who see you and view you as an expert likely don't even know that person exists. Like you are the health authority to them. You know, you, this is what you like. So you're following hundreds of people on Instagram who are in this space. They're not, they're following you. And so you are the one who has the opportunity to influence them, not this other person that you see who may be an expert in your eyes. You are that to them. And so within that, you're able to step in. And again, we talk not having to be the expert, not having to be the best in the world. Most people, like Brad, you've heard me talk about this uh, all the time. Most people are at like a two out of 10 on the like level of consciousness when it comes to their health, their wellness, whatever it is that you help people with. You don't need to be a 10 out of 10. If you're like an eight, you can help someone go from a two to a five and absolutely change their entire life for the forever. And that's what it's, it's all about is remembering that part of it and, and, and stepping into that. So Brad, you, you said you had maybe a couple more things to share there. Actually, so that, that last part you said there was where my head was going next, but I, I liked what you had said prior to that as well. I think that's really important for them to understand. Um, yeah, you're the, like we as fitness coaches and professionals are the, usually the most influential health figures in, in, their, in the lives of our clients. And um, yeah, they're not worried that there's other people out there. They, they know us, they like us, they trust us, and they just want to get a little bit better. And there's a, I'm pretty certain that most people who have been doing the work and focusing on their own journey and continuing their education can help those clients, like you said, get from a two to a five or a six and absolutely transform their lives. Um, so yeah, so um, there's always going to be doubt. There's always going to be fear. There's always going to be those things, but that's not going to go away by sitting back and doing nothing. It's only going to improve by actually going out and helping people, meeting them where they're at, helping them with, with what you can and getting those results and getting better and better. Mm-hmm. And every smart person that you see would admit that something that they took a hard stance on five years ago, they now disagree with, <laughs> or they've now grown and evolved to see a different side of. So it's like, it's okay to put something out there and then change your mind on it. That's allowed. Absolutely. So, so remember that as you're going through. So cool. Moving on to uh, another one. This is a bit of a, a hot topic in the, uh, in this space. One that I know we have some different views on than maybe the rest of the health world. So Brian, I want to talk about macros. What are, what are your thoughts on tracking macros? Uh, and then is there ever a time when you believe that, you know, counting macros is beneficial? Yeah, this is a, a tricky one. And um, I have a different stance on this than the majority of the industry. I have in the past, so right along the lines of the last questions, I have in the past um, endorsed this macro approach. I used to help people with these types of things. I, For those that are old school CrossFitters with the zone diet was kind of where the, the whole thing started. Uh, it used to be big into that. And I've also now been in this fitness industry for 15 years and seen a lot of trends and patterns specifically around this topic. And the, I'd say the most common thing that I see with this, and I'm not saying there aren't outlying cases, but it's very, very common for people to take on a macro coach or a macro prescription, do like well, I guess, or get results, meaning like they'll physically change losing weight or whatever it is that they're trying to do. Um, 
But like I said, in, in the overwhelming majority of those cases, the it's the results that they're getting physically are like negatively correlated with their mental and emotional um, state or like confidence, right? So in other words, there I've I've heard these exact words many many times. People like, yeah, I'm doing really well, but I'm scared of what's going to happen when I don't have my coach anymore or when I go off or whatever because it's like. I'm following this exact thing. It's so strict. It's so exact and I'm doing okay, but it's, I'm, I don't really understand it. I don't really all know all the why I can't really do it on my own. So I'm putting myself in more and more of like a vulnerable position. So it's, it's not, it's, it's like a, instead of empowering the client to feel like we're setting them up for, for lifelong success without needing us every step of the way, we're building more and more of an attachment to, um, to the coach. Now, the second part of that is that it takes out the intuitive side, right? And what we really wanna do is teach people how to check in with themselves and ask myself, okay, what, what do I need right now? What is my body asking for exactly? How do I feel? What's going on in my life? What was my day like? My activity levels, my stress levels? Um, what options are available to me? And how do I provide my body with what it needs based on those options as best as I can? And that's a practice. That's a, you know, an eating practice. And that's why we call it practice because just, you know, the checking in part is a practice being, you know, at being able to hear what the body's asking for the whispers from the body and requests, and then knowing, okay, you know, this is what I need and knowing how to find that or cook that, or, you know, where you would get those things or making sure you always have them or whatever it may be. That's a, that's a part of the practice too. Um, and we want to build and build and build that intuitive connection as opposed to, uh, and then that, you know, which has like a, a flow to it and a feel to it and a rhythm to it. And, and it ebbs and flows and changes in different days and different seasons and different life circumstances and whatnot, as opposed to being like, I'm following this like rigid robotic um, word for word thing where I need a scale and an app and all this stuff just to, to get it quote right. And if I don't get it right, I'm quote wrong. Um, so I'm starting to kind of ramble a little bit on it because, but, because there's a few different ways it can go, but I, I think that's the, the short version of the, at least the beginning of the answer. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, definitely. And I'll, I'll jump in also and say, first off, like I totally agree with what Brian's saying, which is why I don't track macros. I don't coach macros, anything like that anymore. And I have that. Those are both things that I've done in the past mm -hmm. and we're by no means, um, downplaying like the efficacy of counting macros as a tool to help manipulate, manipulate your body composition to lose weight, to add muscle mass, things like that. There's a time when being specific with these things can be beneficial. We, well, there's no doubting it works for that, but in terms of the efficacy of it for a health tool of a tool to develop health, to develop an eating practice, to develop a relationship with food that is lasting for life. That's where it's very um, not talked about enough about how damaging it actually is to those things. Mm -hmm. And, and that's where, you know, this is coming up because it gets put in the spotlight a lot for the upsides to it without necessarily talking about the bad sides. It's like, we see the quick hit, the short-term results, and then the long-term results, we kind of try and like look away from push under the covers, sweep under the rug. And yeah. so with that, I would also just like to, to talk quick about like, 
the benefits that I now see in my life because of doing it. And so I'm not saying I think it's bad to ever do it because I do believe once you have a, a, a healthy relationship with food, it can be beneficial. And now what I'm grateful for is what it actually helped me learn about food. Mm. It helped me learn about what is in different types of food and helped me categorize them a little bit in terms of instead of trying to figure out what each individual thing, it's like you can look at different chunks, you know, knowing what carbohydrates are, I can understand that, you know, eating a whole bunch of rice. Okay. Well, eating a whole bunch of potatoes is probably going to make me feel relatively similar, mm-hmm. you know, because I know they're made up of similar compounds and structures. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I learned from, you know, tracking macros. And it's still something that I take for granted that a lot of people can't look at a plate and tell you like roughly where things sit within that. And so, you know, there are benefits and that's one that I, I think is beneficial for me and I'm grateful for the chance to do it. But for where a lot of people, that's where they start in their nutrition practice and building that up, it can, can leave you in a spot where it's just a bit challenging, uh, you know, down the road. So did you have any, any other thoughts or anything to add on this one? Um, no, I don't think so. I think but now those are some good points there at the end. Um, no, I think we'll leave it there for now. Cool. Uh, yeah, let's leave it there. Cool. We got one more. We'll, we'll wrap up with here today. So okay. this is a little bit of a fun one. So Brian, what is one thing you did for your health and fitness 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago that you now look back on and think is kind of silly? <laughs> Just one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I know. We could probably go uh, do a show on this one, but so, well, I guess, you know, everything, I believe everything led me to where I am always and everything played a role and I was always doing what I thought was best. And I was also doing a lot of experimenting, which we encourage here. And actually, just back to the macros part for a quick second, um, was one thought I had was we're constantly through our eating practice, we, we talk about exploring, experimenting, and then experiencing it, right? So we explore new ideas, we experiment and try new things. And then that, through that experience is how we learn, become an expert on ourselves. Um, so yeah, macros has been part of my journey at some point, right? Plant-based has been part of my journey. Keto has been part of my journey. Paleo, you know, the, those are all things that I explored and experimented with at some point. Took what served me when I was, you know, done with it, left behind what didn't and sort of went on to the next thing and constantly learning that way. So um, we encourage that always. And that's what I've been doing my entire career. And um, so I would say though, something that feels silly to me now that didn't at the time, but does now was um, I did GOMAD. Do you, do you know what GOMAD stands for? Gallon of milk a day. Oh, yes. I did gallon yep. a day, probably around 2013, 14-ish. Um, I put on like 26 pounds in like eight weeks. Just squatting and drink, squatting, deadlifting, pressing, and drinking a gallon of milk every single day. And to be honest, I'm laughing about it a little bit, but to be honest, it – it accomplished what it, you know, all of my numbers went through the roof. I gained weight. I got strong. Um, but really that, that's arguably where I started going down a hill a little bit physically. Um, and it wasn't so much from the, just the milk, although I think that was a big part of it. Now I don't even drink dairy, I don't eat dairy or drink dairy at all. Um, but it was just this idea that str- all like stronger was better. That's it period stronger better stronger better stronger better and it was just like get strong at all costs and now what i know about 
the physical body and um, alignment specifically and how I didn't have the best alignment. I didn't have the best structure, but all I wanted to do was just pack muscle on or pack mass on, I should say, because I was always on a skinnier side growing, growing up as well. And I wanted to just like be big. Um, that was actually the problem is that I thought that it was just every problem I had in my life was going to be solved by squats and strength. And I was trying to pack onto a frame that couldn't really support it. And lo and behold, 26 pounds heavier was at a place where now everything was like a lot more stressful and starting to break me down. And I was also lifting heavy weights every single day. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of the end for me a little bit in the barbell world. Um, yeah, so I guess that's my answer. Gallon of milk a day. I'd heard of that one. I'd never actually got on it. And so it was pretty just, popular in yeah. the earlier CrossFit days. So Mark Ripito, which a lot of people know, um, he, he was a coach that was popular at the time and still is, had starting strength book. And that was his thing. It's like, you need to just be big. Yeah. Fit, like kind of fat to be honest. You know, like not fat, but like, you know, it was just big, a little soft, beefy, massive, you know? Yep. That, that's funny. Also just on a little aside, you remember when like big, we'll call it, we'll call it big milk. Um, started pushing the mesh of that chocolate milk, basically solved every world problem. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. yeah. I was yeah, also drinking, so like that was the same thing. It was like milk was, and then I would um, drink chocolate milk all the time. We used to make these things called calorie bombs where we would put like all, like it would be like a 3,000 calorie shake. I would drink, yeah. I was drinking like eggnog just right out of the <laughs> and it was right around Christmas time. It was just like calories, 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 you know. Um, but I don't recommend it. Yeah, <laughs> but you got huge. So what else mattered, right? Like that's right. All, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's good. Never tried that one. Um, <laughs> twenty seven pounds though. In like how long of a time that was that? I think it was like eight weeks, like two yeah. months. It was at least it was like yeah, about twenty five, twenty six pounds. I was over two hundred pounds for the first time. In my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is crazy you know, to, to look at. Five hundred and yeah, clean jerking well over three hundred and stuff yeah. like that. Seemed good, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, to look at like, to know you and your frame, to think of that over 200 pounds, yeah. it's like, that's a, there's a lot of meat there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of something there. That's uh that's good. Well, one thing for me, I can't recall anything quite as, uh, is um, crazy as the, uh, the go mad protocol, but I would just say that I thought everybody needed to do CrossFit mm-hmm. and uh, like when I got into it, drank Kool-Aid full on, and like, I loved it. It was great. And I still think it's a, it, it has its place as a very powerful fitness modality, but it was like, anyone who wasn't doing that was like, frankly, I'm like, you're like, what, like, what is wrong with you? How do you not see this? And, uh, and then obviously evolving into realizing what, well, Hey, maybe not everyone wants to, you know, be a little beefcake and, you know, lift heavy weights and all these things. And, and also it just, there's the, you know, pros and cons of all of it, but it's just, that was something that I was quite diehard, uh, about, and it was like, I was stuck in that way of like, no, I'm never going to change his opinion. Like, this is always the way it's going to be. And yeah, I would be thinking that like everyone had to do CrossFit. And that was basically the only way to be strong and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, not even strong. That was the only way to be healthy. Everyone had to do it to be there. Mm-hmm. Definitely evolved in that one a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was running along the same lines there. And obviously as a CrossFit owner, you know, it's just like my whole life is telling everybody how they should be doing. doing yeah. 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 And I'll just quickly flash back to the imposter syndrome thing. It's another just, you know, it's part of the journey where you are now. Yeah. It's like, look, part of, part of getting over imposter syndrome is not being so afraid to say I was either I was wrong or like I wasn't entirely right or I was doing what I thought was best, but just not what I do anymore. And 
if you're okay doing that, you stop being so afraid to, to go out and coach people. And, just mm -hmm. can, so. and that's right. I didn't do that on purpose, but that actually works perfectly to have this question follow that one because it's like we were doing things 10 years ago that were kind of ridiculous that yeah. we've you know now come around to uh to see isn't exactly the way but if we didn't go through that like you mentioned at the start of this one if you didn't go through that we wouldn't be where we are now and so you need to explore experiment experience with those things to get to the right answer for right now <laughs> that will probably change as time goes and that's okay yep. cool yeah. cool brian any, any last thoughts to to add in wrap up for this one no, that was fun. I like this. And uh, I look forward to getting some questions in from the audience. And I'd like to hear, you know, across any topics, obviously health and fitness are the main ones, but we want to go outside the lines a little bit with some other things too. I'm down for that. And this is, uh, I look forward to doing more of these. Yeah. Yeah. With that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this one up. Like Brian said, if you have any questions that you'd like to uh, just get our thoughts, get our take on, uh, send us a message on Instagram, go ahead and follow us and, and DM us there at 023 underscore holistic underscore systems. And uh, I'll add it to the list and we'll get it into a future episode. So with that, we can wrap this one up and we will see you guys in the next episode. Peace.